Before the Wicked Witch of the West and those gals from Salem, there was Circe, the captivating and kind of catastrophic Greek witch who did more than just turn men into pigs. I'm Rose. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Gloria. Join us this fall on Circling Circe, the podcast where we talk about Madeline Miller's incredible book, Circe. We go through the novel chapter by chapter. We laugh, we cry from laughing. We swoon over Daedalus and other Greek hotties and talk way too much about food, life, and scented candles. I'm hydrated. I'm ready. I'm You're pumped ready. to talk about Greek gods and titans. <laughs> Let's do this. Lasagna is not supposed to be cool. It's supposed to be eaten hot, stupid. Who just looked at the count and was like, hey, sexy, moo right over here. Like It's <laughs> 11.45. I need to go eat my liver. My Prometheus pate. <laughs> and Granny's like, get out. <laughs> <laughs> We post every Wednesday, so mark your calendars. Make like Scylla. Grab a sailor. And dive in. Find Circling Circe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, do you want to do an outro? Or? Yeah. <laughs> Is that your outro? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Because this season is about my favorite movies from my 37 years of life, we are jumping back and forth between the 80s and 90s, and today's movie is one of the most 90s movies on the list. And it stars the most iconic child actor of the 90s, Macaulay Culkin. In fact, this is his final role as a child actor until he would reemerge as an adult in 2003 in a movie that I can will be covering later this year. I will definitely say the movies of the 90s really made you realize whether your family was one of the haves or have-nots. And today's movie, I think, made us all feel like a Sandlot baseball kid. Today, we're going into the golden case files of Richie Rich. Now, it's based on the Harvey Comics character by the same name. Richie Rich is the richest kid in the world as the son of the richest and most affluent man in the world. While he wants for nothing and has a house that a 90s kid can only dream of, other than his butler Cadbury, Richie has no friends. That is, until one day he meets a group of kids playing baseball while he's whisked away. Uh, meanwhile, on the visit to a queen of England, the evil CFO of Rich's company sets a bomb on their plane as, as he plots to take over the company. Richie won't be outdone and enlists his new friends to help solve the case and bring his parents home. It was distributed by Warner Brothers under their Warner Family Entertainment label, and it debuted in 1994, costing roughly $40 million. And along with Culkin, it boasts a cast like John Larroquette, Christine Ebersole, Edward Herman, and Jonathan Hyde. The movie is set in Chicago. The most famous rich home, though, is the gorgeous Biltmore Castle in North Carolina. The movie streamlines the story from the comics, and they really omit some characters like a robot maid. Now, the critics were generally very welcome and nice to this movie, which is kind of unheard of for critics at the time. A Los Angeles Times reviewer praised the actor's portrayal of the characters in the film. Roger Ebert gave the film three out of four stars, saying he was surprised how much he enjoyed it, and said that though it was not the greatest movie, he liked that it had style and didn't really go for cheap payoffs, which is funny because there's nothing cheap about this movie. Now, Richie Rich earned a Razzie Award nomination for Macaulay Culkin as worst actor for his performance in the movie. Also for Getting Even With Dad and The Page Master, he was not unknown to the Razzies, but he did lose the award to Kevin Costner for his performance in Wyatt Earp. 
Now, the movie received a 26% rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 23 critic reviews. And the site's critical consensus reading was Macaulay Culkin barely registering any emotion. Richie Rich feels disjointed and free of sense of fun and wonderment. Now, audiences polled by Cinemascope gave the film an average of an A- minus on an A-plus to F scale. Now, the film grossed about $38 million at the box office in the U.S. and Canada, and the same internationally, for a worldwide total of about $76 million on a $40 million budget. Um, so it was seen as not really a success. It was massive on home video, though, with $125 million in VHS rentals. And as of April of 2017, uh, 44.2 million in retail sales and the studio receiving about 75%. Now, what kid didn't want a roller coaster in their backyard or an insanely tricked out home like that? But why is this movie worth revisiting and worth your love almost 30 years after its initial release? Well, grab your bats and catcher's mitts because we'll be right back after this. Hey, Nerf Herders. You sure you want to go with that? Hey, everyone? There we go. More inviting. Have you ever had a movie that you really wanted to love, but something holds you back? Or one that you did love in spite of a flaw? Well, I'm Casey. And I'm Sam Alisea. And on another pass, we sit down with cool guests to look at movies that we find fascinating. But flawed. And we try to imagine what could have been done when they were made to give them that little push. We're not experts. We just believe in criticism. Uh, constructive criticism. Sure. So come take another pass at some movies with us. And every now and then, we can celebrate movies that did it on their own, too. You can find us at CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Pass it on. Okay. There are certain things that we think of when we think of like 90s kids and family movies. You know, you've got your kid who has to learn something. You've got parents that are either adoring or absent, but they're kind of absent-minded and bumbling. You've got streetwise kids who form a family unit and then a kind of likely and really hateful villain. Now, this movie kind of has all those things. And there are things that we do expect out of a Macaulay Culkin film. Now, I'm going to say this is just like a modern-minded person. It's clear that this movie is fiction because there is uh, the benevolent billionaire who wants to do more with his money than just hoard it. He wants to help people. That just doesn't fucking exist. Am I right, friends? Let's be fucking honest here. But this is the most 90s departure thing, and I think in a time where we need some departure, Richie Rich is perfect for that. I have always loved this movie. I mean... Critics, if there's one thing that we can take away from this series, I hope it's that critics in the 80s and 90s specifically ruined a lot of movies because they didn't actually approach them with the ideas of, of just enjoying a movie for what it is because they were all trying to see everything as art. But let's be honest, there wasn't that much art coming out of the, you know, 80s and 90s and those movies weren't actually being viewed by that many people and this was before we had like an indie movie boom so like going into this you have to know exactly what you're looking for when you're when you're looking at these 90s movies and I always have very open expectations with Macaulay Culkin's film I will say he was used a lot but even by today's standards he was never the best actor but he's just so much fun to watch on screen and it's just 
I know what I'm getting when I go to a movie like this and when I revisit a movie like this. There's a reason why these movies were watched over and over again on charter buses, on field trips, on band trips. These were the movies that like, they were a little body to watch, but like, because they had a little like rough humor in it. But these were the movies that were safe for everyone to watch. So I remember seeing this movie so much. I rented it often. Our neighbor next door had it on VHS. We did not. And I watched it all the time because there's just so much to it. I mean, just at the top. They, like from looking at it from a standpoint now as an adult, they do a really nice job of adapting and modernizing a very 1930s, 40s comic strip. You know, it's very similar to like, I think the musical Annie does a really nice job adapting the classic comic strip of Little Orphan Annie. I think this does a lot of the same ways because what they did is they were smart. They took a few key characters like Cadbury, the Riches, and um, John Larroquette's character, um, and they, they took them and then they contextualized them to what like the 1990s needed. And so like this is a peak time where like we remember technology was crazy changing always. And there's so much of that in this movie, which is so funny because to think about it, it is so dated. But that was also technology in the 90s. Stuff was dated. I mean, it's now like think about it. Things are dated almost as soon as they come out. But it's really fun to see all that kind of tech and stuff in it. There is just a little bit of like product placement in this movie. I mean, there's a literal McDonald's in their house when the friends come over. But, you know, so I guess this one, this one was one of the first names I wrote on the list when I was planning this season because I just knew I wanted to talk about it because I love this movie. And it's not on free streaming services nearly enough. That's why I actually bought it on Amazon this time around digitally because I always want to go back and watch this movie. Because it just makes me smile. It makes me feel good. Like, who doesn't want a bunch of rough, urban kids that are all like a, a very open, raced group? I joked about it with the color kids last episode in Rainbow Bright. But, like, this movie has the biggest, like, stamp of a 90s movie on it. So, like, it feels like Harriet the Spy. It feels like other movies like it at the time. So at first, I think the script is actually really, really solid in this movie. It gets us to point A to point B to point C with a little diversion in the middle, but it's actually pretty clean and cut. It's obvious from the beginning that there's a plot against the riches. They do a really good job. These movies, they even did it like all the way up through like Biggest Liar and things like, you know who the villain is going into this. And I also want to know how Billy Bob Thornton went back in time to star in this movie. I know he didn't actually, but the guy that's like the security student to John Larroquette's character clearly looks like Billy Bob Thornton does now like it's just so funny like I even looked it up I was like that's not Billy Bob Thornton because that's not what Billy Bob Thornton looked like in 1984 like like I get it like it's just it's a thing um but I actually think it's really it's really simple and it's done very well Kids, kid feels, you know, dejected by his parents because his parents are busy people. But what's something that's so nice is from the beginning, the first moments of this movie, no matter how busy they are, they check in with Richie and they love him. And it is so clear that they love him. And it is also nice to see that from the beginning, you know, this is also like the studios telling us lies. The people with the money telling us lies is that the people with the money care about people who don't have the money. I mean, this movie, I think it's really interesting. Like Diane is listed as like the union rep as like this, like single mom and all these things. Like it's, 
They do all of the kind of right things to appeal to the audience who they knew know is going to see the movie. So they can lampoon the wealthy because this was when like we were coming out of trickle down economics and like I believe Clinton was just president at this point. So like it it's just a thing that like they were making fun of the rich while also being like, but look how accessible they are. Look, they actually want to take care of the poor people, all those things. And they set up early on that Richie is lonely and Richie wants kids. And we, we see a really ridiculous scene at his school with his very out of touch, rich friends. And, you know, showing that Richie is different than the rest of the super wealthy kids and all these things though. I will say there's a couple very gross 90s things, but but as far as 90s movies go, there's not a lot of like grossness to this movie. I would say it was really awesome having the Claudia Schiffer um, cameo. Anybody that knows anything about the 90s, this was the time of the supermodel. So like seeing her there as the fitness instructor, there is that little grossness with him and like Cadbury checking on her butt, those things. And like the the obviously queer coded kid which like i get that he's supposed to be like the howls from gilligan's island is like this super bougie kid like whatever but that's the only thing that i was like that's kind of gross but like it's all part of the plot well you want the kid and again he is from the comics he looks like his character from the comics there's a great cameo from ben stein as a teacher which he's best known as being the teacher from ferris bueller and being the monotone guy in the red eyes video but really those two are the only two moments that i'm sitting there going this is really gross otherwise honestly as far as like I don't want to say like a woke meter or whatever, but it's like things that we know now that like the, that kind of humor isn't funny anymore. There's just those two moments, which I actually think for a movie from the mid nineties, this really checks out. Um, and so, yeah, the plot, it's simple, but it does exactly what it's supposed to do. It's kind of as ridiculous as a Richie Rich comic strip would be. And the cartoon, I think it does a really nice job of kind of contending with those things. And as far as adapting a property that's kind of that old, I think it kind of works out. So the cast is so good. Like it's, I mean, I'm going to lead with, with the riches. Like you've got Christine Ebersole, who is just, you know, a lot of people don't actually know her that well. She had this role, which I knew her form for years. Uh, she's a great cameo role that showed up a few times on Will and Grace. She's just done um, some Ryan Murphy things. Um, also White Diamond and Steven Universe, but she is a Broadway legend. Um, from the 90s, she was Little Edie in Great Gardens. She just did War Paint opposite Patti Lapone. Christine Ebersole just has an iconic career, and she is picture perfect as Mrs. Rich. She's just bubble-headed enough and blonde, but she's also so smart and so daring and such a wonderful woman of her own who... In the beginning, you think that she's kind of hapless and useless, but like she really drives the ship, which I think is great. And then you've got the actor who plays his dad, uh, who is, I mean, best known as playing Mr. Gilmore on the Gilmore Girls, but he just has an iconic career. He's so lovely. He's the best hapless dad. Um, also, I like that he's kind of, an uh, he looks like an everyman, but he also looks like the guy that goes to Yale, like went to Yale. Like it's one of those things, like they are just the best family together. I mean, you've got Macaulay Culkin 
And I will say Macaulay Culkin has taken his entire life in stride. The fact that he is still alive today, despite his best efforts not to be, is commendable. I mean, he was never an incredible actor. Macaulay Culkin did what he did, and it was fun. Like, I will die on the hill that Home Alone 2 is one of the greatest movies of my generation. But I also, I'm going to be covering Party Monster later this year, which honestly, it was his next role after this. This was his last role as a child actor. He got a lot of critiques saying that he wasn't feeling emotion, that he was just kind of dead behind the eyes. But like, we're now aware of what was happening in his family. All through, all of his brothers, who his littlest brother was his younger self in this movie, all of them, were their parents were taking their money. They had been part of the studio system. And now that we know that what happened to so many of the men in the studio system between Anthony Rapp and the Corys and all of these young men who were being sexually assaulted and taken advantage of through the 80s and 90s in through the studios, like, we're lucky that he is okay now. And has, but I mean, he had years of addiction and just running from himself and things. And so I think it's really hard to be particularly hard on him now, knowing hindsight kind of what was happening in his life. But, you know, he he's also a young, like, he's not even a full teenager in this movie. Like, his biggest career moments, I think, happened till he was 13 or maybe 14. And then he doesn't show back up for almost a decade because he was like, poor his parents stole all of his money he worked through the bullshit of the system so i want to give him the benefit of the adult um and then we've also got some secondary actors in this i mean you've got john Layercat who plays the best douchebag ever like he's just so good in this role it's very one-dimensional but that's exactly what we need he plays he plays the dick dastardly like hannah barbera style villain so well like it's just a thing that john Layercat always gets the job done like he knows exactly what's being asked of him i love the terrible dye job on him because he clearly started going like gray and white at this point because you know he was in his like 40s doing this movie at least i mean which is not old as somebody who was almost 40 but just i just think about like how much of his career he'd already had going into this point and he, he's great the secondary roles the the plus size actor i should have the cast up here and i don't so forgive me everyone but y'all are on board y'all know what bullshit you're getting into listening to the show at this point the plus size actor that played the uh scientist is great though i don't fully understand that still but like you can't have a kid's movie without robotics and uh like all of these fun like experimental hijinksy things they're all very much what makes a macaulay culkin movie especially but there's always just things you have to have in a kitschy 90s movie and that was fine they had a scientist that was developing uh, crazy crazy inventions and it's lovely and we had his supercomputer that he built for richie which who didn't want his supercomputer um uh, it, oh let's just going back to like the plot loosely not being bad i will say all of these movies, and I just watched a Murder, She Wrote episode uh, recently from about this time a little before, but why did everybody let us think that anybody could hack into anything at this point? Like, they really just made it that, like, with the modem, you could hack into the fucking Pentagon. Like, it just cracks me up. He's like, give me a couple more seconds and I'm in. A couple more keystrokes. And it's always just like, okay, whatever, bro. But, like, again, we lost our minds for that shit in these movies i still lose my mind for that shit i'm not mad at it at all but also like two other standout performances and we would see them through a couple more movies in the 90s and 2000s um david hyde as cadbury is just 
so lovely. He really gets it. He gets the job done. I, between this butler, between Cadbury and then the butler and parent trap, I have a thing for like balding, brunette, tall, thin British men, apparently. But if you know me, you know. If you know, you know, to quote the kids on TikTok. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize till later that like, Cadbury in the motorcycle leather and like the butler in Parent Trap when he comes out in the Speedo heavily coated me. Also, the, the, the costumes in Ever After, that's all I'm going to say, the men's costumes in Ever After. I am a chaotic piece of shit because of all of those things. Uh, yeah, so he's so wonderful, so lovely. Like, he holds his own. He's got that British Royal Marine thing going on when he needs to. And then opposite of him for a lot of the movie is the actress who plays Diane, who is the rough inner city Chicago mom. She's a union rep. One, I think that's incredible that this movie was very pro-union in the way that they needed the villain to be anti-union. They wanted Union Bus to sell off this company. And the fact that, like, Mr. Rich wanted to give it back to the 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 workers of the factory that's like ultimately what all workers rights organizations and unions are really striving for and so this movie really played into that whether they meant to or not or whether it was supposed to be commentary we're in a point where i just go yeah fuck yeah well fuck yeah the unions let's work into it and i just think that she was just standout. And the kids were really good in this movie. Again, it was our kind of multicultural. You've got the 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 tomboy girl, you've got the like rough Italian kid, uh, you got the you've got a black kid, you've got an Asian kid, and they they're making up the group because that's typically what we got out of this time. It was the the multi-ethnic street kids that were whether they were good or bad, there was always that group of multi-ethnic kids. And again, I feel like people are like, there's a weird way for us to take it in now, but like we have to strive for that much diversity more now because you know these were those roles those characters always were cast in because like now we would probably actually have like a black family playing the riches or a non-white family playing the riches but you know back then that, that was just unheard of though it was really interesting that like clearly one of the boys that Richie went to school with was uh, like queer coded one was uh, very like Jew Jewish quote coded and then one was like the fine upstanding black family uh, which again part of the 90s happened a lot but like again it's more diverse than a lot of movies we're looking at today so it's really this cast is just so good I feel like every movie I talk about the cast just being so good or TV show but the cast really makes it or breaks it and they're part of why we keep revisiting a lot of these things these casts are just so good like they really just get it everybody got the kind of camp nature like this movie is just so fucking camp it is absolute camp and everybody got on board with it. Everybody understood going through exactly what the assignment was. And I think it's so clear that every cast member just got it and understood. And also can't have a 90s movie without a delightful dog or animal actor. And the dog that played Dollar is just so adorable. I love the scenes that he's in. And it's just so sweet. He's so cute. And la lastly... This movie cost about $40 million, which I think would cost a lot more to make today. But when you have the richest family in the world who is literally having a mountain carved, 
the, the mountain that their vault is in carved into an art piece by a female Italian artist, which I do love. I think that's really awesome. But it like rich Mount Richmore. Because uh, of course, now that we're talking about the like, fuck Mount Rushmore, like, you know, there are a lot of connotations to it. It is just kind of the like the the ridiculousness of the rich and like what they need, what they want, what their homes look like, you know, Richie sitting at the end of the table. Cause he doesn't want to have dinner with John Larroquette's character, but the design of this movie, the, the props department, the arts department, the designers of this movie really built the world. They did their job so much because like, the script alone requires a lot. You need a really crazy high-tech lab with all these really weird things, including like new wave, like particle manipulators and particle accelerator things. It's like, what does that even look like? You need a home that is the riches. It's massive. You need to have, oh God, the roller coaster out back, but you also need this iconic home that you can kind of go sprawling over. But then you also need like the inside of the vault and all of these things that they're just... They just did such an amazing job. And also the costumes look so cool. Like it's very 90s. It's clearly 90s. But even just Mrs. Rich's costumes going through her luggage after their plane crashed in the ocean. And she goes, oh, my Lagerfeld. Oh, this. And it's just like, yeah, those are clearly things that that woman would wear. Clearly, those are things that Christine as a woman would wear, which I loved. Um, and then thinking about the vault. the I remember... I, my, my family is very small, even though I will say my family is large. My dad made the very smart decision to alienate himself from almost all of his siblings, uh, not going into anything too personal about my family life. So for me, my family is very small. Um, and no matter how much money we would or did or did not have very much as one of the have nots, that's exactly what like my dad would have our vault look like. It would be the silly things that like mean a lot to my family. And so I remember as a young kid who was always a little too emotional, a little too connected, a little too sentimental, having the vault open. And I know I noticed really quickly that it was like stuff. And John Larroquette's character took a little bit longer to like figure it out. But like that moment when the riches are going these are our priceless possessions. It's not vases. It's not investment pieces. It's the literal pieces of their family that like if their home burnt down, insurance could replace everything else. But they couldn't replace those things. And that was really interesting to me, which is I'm segueing into like the last thing of how I want to kind of wrap up this episode a lot of times we always talk about a lot of movie, 90s movies were like making a point saying something they wanted to teach kids a lesson but i think this is a great all ages family film because it's not just teaching lessons or anything that it's also just like the greatest things in the world can't be bought they're not the things money can buy because now we're having the conversation of money can't buy happiness and it's like no but money can buy the comfort of a life where you don't have to worry and clearly it's what the richest had you know had and what this what the plot did want to show you is that they have so much money that they have way more things to worry about because they are you know balancing that money and it is that question of like oh they're investing so much that they're investing a billion dollars a year of company profits into you know charitable things and all these things that Mr. Rich is doing because he believes in them which is like when we talk about you know there are only companies a few companies now that make that kind of profit like Disney those kinds of 
companies and you know when it's just like oh well you made nine billion in profit this year let's just buy marvel those little things that like he's using these things to do good and i think this was really setting up a way to show kids that it's like look you yeah sure they might not have to worry about the things that your family's having to worry about but they're still having to like focus on like oh god i'm having to work so hard that i don't have time for my family or or this and that but like I think at the end of the day, the really, really great thing about this movie is that it shows that it's like you have to make time for family because family is the most important thing. It's not the things that you're going to amass in your lifetime that's like money and status and power. Those things are kind of fade and can be lost in a minute. They can go away in a split second. But I always remember my family is very important to me even when they weren't as supportive as they could because I was queer or things, you know, come around. I know my sibling listens and she's always been incredible, but like families come around, families learn, families grow, families support each other. And that's why for me, family's always been important, but it's that core family. Um, now again, this is a message for anyone out there. Family members who are toxic and awful to you do not deserve your forgiveness just because they're family. I just want to put that out there for everybody. But I think it was really important in this message of this plot in this movie to show that, like, sure, you can have everything in the world, but that's not what's going to make you happy at the end of the day. It's not going to keep your family going. And so there was a definite reposition of things because also, like, a lot of us, I wish we knew now what, or knew then what we knew now because it's like all of us that were the overachiever kids – we were busting our ass to do so much. We had crazy schedules. We were doing so much because we wanted to get into college. We wanted to do this, wanted to do that. Now we're all burned out, <laughs> gifted kids who are realizing that we're somewhere on the autism spectrum and we're neurodivergent. And it's like, oh, if we had maybe just gone to therapy or focused on these other things, which, you know, therapy is the only thing that's missing from this movie that I think if they made it now, they would, uh, you know, I don't think... This movie has a place to be remade now. I'm really happy, happy that nobody's trying to remake it. I know they did a series a few years ago. This movie did have a direct sequel, I think six or seven years later. Obviously not with Macaulay Culkin. It was straight to DVD. I think it was a early Netflix original. It was a Christmas movie. But one, I don't want to hear anything about billionaires now unless it's literally about how they're losing all their money to make sure that the rest of the world has enough money to survive. But I think this is a great movie to go back to and revisit. And it's a great all ages film. It's another one where I know I have a lot of parents out there now because I am in that demographic of people. Hopefully you're not letting your kids listen. I am a terrible gay uncle. Please do not put that on me. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is another one where I would check off and say, yeah, this is a great one to show your kids. I'd say Rainbow Bright, this one and our next one are all really good to set your families down in front of because they are things that we should have listened to then our next one has a lot of like eco responsibility that i wished we'd listened to then but for now you know sometimes we just need to revisit things to revisit them and love them for nostalgia's sake and this one is not a bad one to do that for it's not incredibly problematic i think this is another one where fans have really spoken it definitely is an a minus in my mind i think the script is great i think this is a great fun movie i think there are certain things that we can look at without a lens to pick it apart because there's no reason to pick this movie apart there's no reason to put it under a lens it's not super problematic and i think it's still really fun to revisit 
And so I think you all should take another go dive into their vault and take another look at Richie Rich. I'll see you next time when you join me for another deep dive behind the 90s revisiting of a Hanna-Barbera property that may or may not be good. We'll see together when we go behind Jetsons the movie. I'll see you next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. Today's episode is sponsored by Sunny Bear Homestead. A new year means a new commitment to a focus on health, wellness, and self-care. And no one does self-care better than Sunny Bear Homestead, a queer-owned business nestled near the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Virginia. Sunny Bear offers carefully crafted tea blends made from award-winning recipes, sensuous soaps, scrubs, and they work with local artists to bring you local honey, maple syrup, and decadent smoked coffee that will take your brunch game to the next level. Now, I don't advertise for anything that I don't personally love, and I have to tell you that their oatmeal, milk, and honey signature soaps and scents are my absolute favorite. They're crisp and clean and simple, and their massive menu of teas are perfect for every occasion year around. Now, Sunny Bear Homestead ships all over the US, Canada, and Mexico, and it's more important now than ever to support small local business. You can find their wide assortment of incredible offerings at Homemade Sunny Bear. Now, that's S U N N Y B E A R.com. So, Homemade Sunny Bear.com. And just for our Dreamer Productions listeners, you can use code DREAMER, that's D R E A M E R, all uppercase letters, at checkout for 15% off your order. Again, use code DREAMER at checkout for 15% off your order. Thanks again to Sunny Bear Homestead for sponsoring this episode. Now, on with the show. Saturday Morning Confidential is brought to you by Dreamer Productions and is a proud member of the Certain POV Podcast Network. You can find us on Facebook at Saturday Morning Confidential, on Instagram at SMC Pod, and on Twitter at The SMC Podcast. You can find all the shows that Certain POV has to offer at CertainPOV.com or also on Patreon at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of only $2 a month keeps constant programming coming in and supporting our new shows as we go throughout 2022. Now join us again next time for another deep dive into the files of Saturday Morning Confidential. CPOV CertainPOV.com